I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nothing personal word of the day for Monday, September 13th is bad. Not the song by Michael Jackson. And you know what? It should be badly should be the word of the day because I was taking the word from Aaron Rodgers quote NFL week one of 17 was yesterday. And Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers got absolutely smoked by Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees wasn't even at the game. And the Saints crushed them. They have a new quarterback, Winston, Jameis Winston, who looked like Drew Brees in his prime. Aaron Rodgers didn't play during the preseason that I can recall. He didn't participate in the offseason workouts because he was with Shalene Woodley, not in Green Bay, living the high life. And then goes to week one and absolutely craps all over himself. He was like the guy standing under the waterfall of sewage at FedEx Field in Washington during game one of the final season of the Washington football team. By, by the way, folks, that wasn't sewage. I worked in a stadium for 18 years. There is zero chance there was a waterfall of sewage that was raining down on the fans in the Washington football team. They had a geyser. People posted it on Twitter. How do you not know when you work for a team these days that when something happens in your ballpark, you've got to get the word out through your social media what happened or else you look like a stinking fool? Not shocking that the Snyder, Tanya Snyder's 0-1 as a president of a team. Dan Snyder is 0-1 as a, what is he, like a consultant or he's heading up the charity arm or whatever he's doing. So WFT lost, shockingly. But Remember that there was that flow of sewage and it took them hours to come out and say, hey, that was water. That wasn't sewage, except the only thing that we read because it was posted and then shared and then viral. Do you know the way that ballparks and stadiums are built? It is virtually impossible. I mean, never say never. I would never say never. <laughs> Detour time, Coca. When you're done building a stadium, you have to get a, uh, a certificate of occupancy. And generally, you get what's called a temporary certificate of occupancy, a TCO. And that is what it takes to allow fans into the ballpark. Then after the TCO is done, the season goes on your first season. It's months later that you get your final certificate of occupancy. But you're really after the TCO, temporary certificate of occupancy. And one of the big things required to get the TCO has to do with sewage. Because frankly, who wants to be at a ballpark when there's crap around? You just don't want that. So you have to do something. Get ready for it. Dun, da, 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 the big flush. Do you know what that is? The big flush is when you bring in school kids 
or construction workers or every one of your employees. You have to go to every toilet in the ballpark. You get assigned an area. It's not even boys in the boys room and girls in the girls room or whatever. It's just because no one's really going to the bathroom, but you have to have one person per stall. You've got the loudspeakers on because the Jumbotron and the PA system is working. You've got walkie talkies going. Everyone is nervous. You've got people from the city and county department there watching. You've got people from the construction company watching. You've got plumbers around JIC. And the big flush is when they say, ready? On three. One, two. Wait, is it on three or is it after three? I remember asking that question because I was flushing a toilet too. I was flushing my own toilet. My own toilet, yes. Okay, it was on three. No, 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 it's after three. One, it's one, two, three, flush. Are we clear? One, two, three, whoosh. The entire stadium flushes at once because you gotta be ready for that. I mean, what are the odds? I always said that the Marlins would sell out a game. At that point, I was hopeful that we would. But then can you imagine every toilet going off at once? It's never going to happen. And they said it could happen. So you have to do a big flush. So we did the big flush and everything was good. We celebrate. We had some drinks. And then that was that. So every ballpark does it. And I asked, and I remember this clearly because I'm sort of a clean guy in general. I don't like the idea of raw sewage anywhere. When I see a puddle in New York or anywhere, like on the causeway, the Venetian causeway, my working assumption is that it's raw sewage, but you can always tell by the smell. Of course, I have no taste or smell. So my concern is now anytime there's any standing water anywhere that isn't clear, like from a glacier in Iceland, that it's sewage. But I was looking at the water coming down from the WFT and it looked pretty clear to me. So they came out hours later to say it was storage water from a rain tank or storage tank. And they were so late. But that's what happened. It rained crap on the Packers. Aaron Rodgers used the word incorrectly. He said, I played bad. We played bad. The word is badly. So my word of the day for nothing personal is badly. We're changing it. The word of the day is badly. It's just one game. Rodgers said we played badly. I played badly. Offensively, we didn't execute very well. It's one game. We've got 16 to go. So I discussed this on a tweet yesterday. Football games are so much more meaningful than baseball games. When there were 16 games in football and 162 games in baseball, that's roughly every football game is 10 games in baseball. What would you be feeling if your team lost 10 games in a row? Despondent. What would you be feeling if your team won 10 games in a row? Elated. What you would never want to hear your players say, and we would caution them not to discuss it this way after a 10-game losing streak. Hey, it's just a 10-game losing streak. We have 150 to go. And that's really what Aaron Rodgers said. Now, I grant you it's only a nine and a half game losing streak because there's 17 games now. Do you really want your defending MVP to say, hey, we're good. We're good. Well, you're not good because where have you been all offseason? We would never let a player start opening day who had zero at-bats during spring training. 
We would never let a pitcher pitch an opening day who had zero innings pitched during spring training. For whatever reason, football has become the sport where preseason is not necessary. Coco, what were Aaron Rodgers' stats during preseason, during the Packers preseason? How did he play, would you say? Well, did he throw for like three or four touchdowns, take 50 or so snaps, get to know the sets? I have it upon information and belief, and this is purely anecdotal, that he may have not played during preseason. I may be wrong, but he certainly didn't play enough because he did not look ready to play. But it's one game. It's not the end of the world. Just kidding. Yes, it is. That's why I never wanted to run a football team as I think about it, because I couldn't handle the fact that after a loss, I'd have to wait a full week for redemption. In baseball, I love the fact that you lose a game, you go to bed, you wake up, and there's a game the next day that you can apologize dice. You can just forget about that game and move on to the next. Now, on the other side, if you win a game, you get the elation of the full week. But as my career continued, the losses hurt more than the wins. So even winning a game, a football game, my view would be, all right, I'm back to work. I'm going to pretend I didn't win. And if I lost a football game, I'd be despondent saying back to work. I can't believe I have to wait till next Sunday to get a win. That's when I knew that I'd been in baseball a long time, when the losses hurt more than the wins helped. That's when you've lost balance. Week one. How'd y'all do on your fantasy? Well, I kicked ass. I got 750 fantasy points. It was unreal. I don't know how I did that. Did you see some of the baseball this weekend? A lot of interesting baseball. Dodgers play the Padres. Yankees play the Mets. I want to talk a little bit about our main man, Trevor Bauer, because that something happened this weekend, or maybe it happened on Friday after we had recorded that was quite interesting to me throughout the course of, of the investigation into the incident where Trevor Bauer abused a woman, at least one woman, MLB has had him on administrative leave. Administrative leave, as you recall, is seven days where you're paid by your team while MLB decides what's next. And the only way that that administrative leave gets extended is if the union agrees. And I've told you from the beginning that he will be on administrative leave until he is suspended. And MLB will not be ready to suspend him until the district attorney in Pasadena decides whether they're going to charge him. So it is one giant holding pattern. Pictures circling LaGuardia because of air traffic. That's what's going on right now with Trevor Bauer. And MLB and the union had been extending his leave once a week, every week since he was put on leave. Finally, they said, we're done with this. And here's why they're done with it. We're about three weeks away from playoffs. Today's Monday, three weeks from today would be any tiebreaker games that need to be played. And the way the season's going, there could very easily be some tiebreakers. Those are always exciting. Although it wouldn't be that exciting. Would it be exciting if the Dodgers and the Giants had to play a tiebreaker to win the division? We talked about this in the commissioner's office on the competition committee when we came up with the wild card and the second wild card. Because in the case of the Dodgers Giants, which was an example that actually came up when coming up with this rule, we thought about this very thing. Before the wild card, if you had two teams battling for the division, they were tied at the end of the season. They would play 163rd game. The winner of the game 
wins the division, the loser of the game is out of the playoffs. That's the type of game you can sell to a broadcast partner. That's the type of game that's going to draw a huge audience even during football season. But in this example, the Dodgers and the Giants, the winner will win the division. The loser will be the host of the wild card game. So what are the stakes? If you've got one good pitcher and you are the Dodgers, Max Scherzer, it's his day to pitch. Are you pitching him in the tiebreaker game? Or are you saving him in case you lose for the wild card game or game one of the division series where he can in theory pitch on a game one and maybe even a game four? We talked about what teams would do and whether or not the broadcast partners would pay money for a game where the loser really doesn't lose. And that's when we said, hold on. As an executive, let me be very clear to those of you who've never run a team. If you are telling me that if I win one game, I'm guaranteed a three out of five playoff series. But if I lose the game, I'm guaranteed a one game winner take all home game. Then I get to go to the division series. You're telling me that I'm going to treat those the same. Uh -uh. I want to win the division. I will not put my season on the line with the vagary of a one game play-in game. No chance, toilet pants, because even Scherzer could get rocked. Just happens. Or Bueller or Kershaw or Urias. Anyone you throw out there, if you're the Dodgers, when you're trying to repeat, you need to get into a three out of five. So if the Dodgers have Scherzer ready to go for a tiebreaker game against the Giants three weeks from today, he ought to be pitching. The, the Dodgers saying we've got Bueller ready to go too. I'm going Scherzer. Hard stop because I have Bueller on backup for a wild card game if Scherzer loses. So Trevor Bauer will not be available for any of this because baseball with three weeks to go, they do not want any more distraction. They have an embargo on announcements once the postseason starts. They'll tell you publicly that the embargo on announcements is only during the World Series, but that's not actually true. If you are going to make a managerial announcement or a coaching change or any sort of player change or trade, and it's October, in the month of October, even before the World Series, the commissioner always wanted to be called and his PR person always wanted to be called. And it all goes back, I think, to that fateful day in a year that I cannot forget because I have no idea what year it was when in the middle of a World Series game, A-Rod, mortal enemy, the former A of Alo, made an announcement regarding his playing future and his contract situation. And it was famously at a time when the commissioner was so angry that I remember him saying, never again. So now there's no announcements of any kind on any side unless you get permission. So they can't keep delaying the Trevor Bauer one week at a time, one week at a time. It was game four of the 07 World Series. Is that when it was, Coca? Do you actually remember that or did you search it? He's got all these screens up like he's Matthew Broderick from War Games trying to change his own high school grades or for that of his girlfriend. He's got these screens like he's he's got earpieces in and microphones and Googling stuff. And then all of a sudden, I don't hear a thing from him for like 12 minutes. And that's because he's playing Fortnite. So what they announced is that Bauer's done for the year. 
See you later. They're going to keep him on administrative leave through the regular season and the postseason. Are you surprised by that? The only thing I was surprised is that Rachel, you know, Rachel, the famous agent of Trevor Bauer, the representative of representatives who gives quotes that make me laugh and give you content. Today, she said, Mr. Bauer agreed to extend his administrative leave through the playoffs in a measure of good faith and in an effort to minimize any distraction to the Dodgers organization and his teammates. <laughs> First of all, Trevor, I have a small surprise for you. It's a tiny little surprise. Like when Santa brings all of his gifts to you, this one's just tiny in a little box. There's not even room for any sort of ribbon or anything, but here's the surprise. Your teammates don't even think about you anymore. They don't talk about you anymore. They do not want you on the team ever again. Hard stop. Done. D-O-N-E. Minimizing a distraction. You are the king of maximizing distractions. That's what you do. But in this case, you've decided you're going to minimize. All of a sudden, you're the team guy. You're the single most selfish player I've come across in 18 years. Now, your ass is up against it. Your career... You're about to lose potentially, potentially $55 million has. And you want to minimize the distraction for your teammates? Okay. Trevor continues to cooperate with the MLB investigation and refute the baseless allegations against him. He's not cooperating at all. He took the fifth during a hearing, which is his right, constitutional right. Absolutely, I do not blame you for pleading the fifth. Have you met with baseball? Or you're going to wait until the DA decides what they're going to do. But you did leak out the fact that you're going to fight to the bone. If you have to do a grievance, if you have to do a lawsuit against MLB and the Dodgers, if they try to take away your guaranteed money, you're going to fight until you bleed in your cuticles. Until there's marks on someone's eye and neck and lip. All right. But you're going to continue to cooperate. Horse hockey. I'm all over you, Trevor and Rachel, because just give me a statement. Give me a real statement one time. One time. Did you watch the Toronto-Baltimore game? I think the game was on Friday. And the reason I think it was Friday is I picked it as the nothing personal pick of the day. I had Robbie Ray, who was really competing to win the Cy Young with Garrett Cole in the American League. I had them beating the Orioles. The Orioles actually beat the Blue Jays and Robbie Ray on Friday night, which caused me to lose. But that wasn't the coolest thing that came out of that. And one of you watched the video and had a question. You know what I want? I want to talk to Sam. So you want to talk to Samson. It's a segment from the movie Half Baked. I have a T-shirt that actually says Half Baked at some bakery in St. Louis, Missouri. If you've got a medium, send it my way. All I have is an extra large because you were out of mediums. Half-Baked, the movie, has a character named Samson, and everyone wants to talk to him. And there's no P. Get into my Twitter at David P. Samson. Laugh a little bit. Get into the DMs. Ask a question. Do you agree with what Brandon Hyde did to Robbie Ray? And how would you deal with this? Here's the story. Brandon Hyde is the manager for the Baltimore Orioles. Brandon Hyde was a coach that we had in Florida. He actually was an interim manager. He may have managed Coca one game for us. 
in between firings of managers before we could get a manager on site. I think we had Brandon Hyde manage one game. If you look at the Marlins managerial career stats, I think Hyde managed a game. He's been the longtime manager now, two or three years of the Orioles. The Orioles are in a interminable rebuild. The Orioles stink. It's so sad. No one goes to games. It was 2011 that Brandon Hyde, 10 years ago, got his managerial career off to an 0-1 start. That was just the beginning of his losses. And he's frustrated. I don't blame him. When you manage a team in baseball that doesn't win, it wears on you. And these are the dog days of August right now. I'm just kidding. We're in September. It just feels that way when you've been out of the playoffs for two months. You have to find reasons to stay motivated. There were many seasons, not as many as you'd think, if you're a Marlins fan, that we were out of it in September. Many of the years we were in the race until late September, but just faulted at the end, faltered at the end. But the, the Orioles are not like that. They are just bad. B-A-D. And so Brandon Hyde started talking to Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray was taking his time while pitching, and Brandon Hyde was caught on video telling him to hurry up, get on the mound, pitch the ball, but he was swearing. And people were aghast. It was all over the media, all over social media. What is Brandon Hyde doing? Why isn't there a bench-clearing brawl? Why isn't Robbie Ray throwing at an Orioles guy? Because Robbie Ray kept looking over at Brandon Hyde. Brandon Hyde kept saying, get on the mound and pitch. But he used a lot of bad words that I don't want to use now because we're clean. So I want to tell you about this and just say that, uh, surprise, this happens every game. It's just that Camden Yards, which used to be heaven in baseball when it became a new ballpark and the Orioles were decent with Cal Ripken, et cetera, sold out loud. There were like 20 people. Are you noticing like in Pittsburgh and Baltimore, people can't make fun of the Marlins attendance anymore because there are attendance at these teams, at these ballparks who stink, that are just bad, slow and quiet. The fact that Camden Yards is there now is quite upsetting to me. And it should be upsetting to baseball, but it was quiet as a church mouse. That's how quiet it was at Camden Yards. You could hear anything that anyone said. Plus, the networks like Masson, which broadcasts Orioles games, and all of the regional networks and all of the team-owned networks, do you know what they do? They plant more microphones around the field than ever before. They want to give you the sounds of the game. And then when something happens, then they have to apologize. Ooh, we apologize for hearing that word. No, you don't. You put the microphone there because you want to hear that word because you, what do you think? Players don't swear. It's like a swearing festival. I used to have rules with my son who would be able to come into the clubhouse as a little boy. He was born in 2003 before the World Series. He was born in June of 03. And so we spent his childhood in a clubhouse. And, uh, I would teach him the difference. There's clubhouse rules, and then there's rules in the real world. You can't come to the Shabbat dinner table and drop F-bombs. But in the clubhouse, if you want to drop an F-bomb, feel free. So that was the rule. What you can say in the clubhouse cannot be said anywhere else. Clubhouses are dirty, and it's not a place for kids. And that may explain all sorts of issues that I'm dealing with, interestingly enough. I mean, my son's in great shape. He made it. Somehow he made it through the gauntlet that was having me as a father through his childhood in college now. But he learned the difference. 
You think networks don't know that it's going to be rated R or NC-17 when you've got cameras and microphones? I think they wanted to show it. So do I agree with what Brandon Hyde did? Yeah. Our managers would do it all the time. I would do it all the time from the suite. Get on the mound. Get the ball. Get in the batter's box. Sitting next to the dugout, I'm yelling the same thing. Let's go. John Anderson, our security guard, he always would protect me because I'd always be like, let's go. That was my thing. So you're asking me how I would deal with it. And I know that this sounds a little strange to you. It wouldn't even come up in the post game when I'd be with the manager. It wouldn't matter. Even if I saw a clip that was all over social media, and even when I can say to you that I would be embarrassed, but I wouldn't deal with it by talking to the manager, the reason I would be embarrassed and I would probably tweet something or say something to the media saying, hey, it happens. We don't condone this type of language. Wink, wink. We just wish that it weren't so quiet in the ballpark. I would take the opportunity to say, hey, fans, I know we're going to lose a hundo again, but come to the ballpark. But in terms of a private meeting with my manager after the game, believe me, we've got bigger fish to fry. And it's not about him cursing out Robbie Ray. All right, when we come back, we have to talk about desperately um, a four-part movie that I watched and that I finished watching this weekend. It was a very emotional weekend with 9-11, and we've obviously talked a lot about it, but we're going to review a documentary uh, when we come back. Thank you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet of drops that Coca puts into the show and CBS does. I think it's CBS, not Coca. I don't know who it is. Welcome to a Monday. We get to watch a movie every day, even with all the sports on yesterday. And I was watching, I watched US Open. I watched NFL. I watched MLB. I still watched two. It's so great when you don't sleep. I watched two movies and an episode of Ted Lasso. And I ran a half marathon. That was just yesterday. You can do anything. All you got to do is start at 5 a.m. and go to bed at 1 a.m. In 20 hours, so much time to watch a movie. Spike Lee has put together a movie. Spike Lee is someone who I have known, and I'm not flexing because we're not friends. I've known him, though, for 27 years. Uh, We spent time together in Houston when the Knicks were 
in the NBA Finals against the Rockets in 94. We were both out in Houston for games uh, one and two. And he is a very talented filmmaker. I could do a top five Spike Lee movies. I would have Do the Right Thing in there. I would have Inside Man in the top five. But I'll tell you, what he just put together for 9-11 is something called Epicenter. Epicenter is a four-part miniseries, documentary, really. The first three parts are two hours. The fourth part is an hour and a half. I want to go right to the end where what you've read about Epicenter, it's called New York City Epicenters 9-11 through 2021 and a half, but that doesn't matter. It's just called Epicenter. It's on HBO Max. What you've read, if you've read anything about it, is that Spike Lee was forced to edit the fourth and final episode under tremendous pressure because in the fourth and final episode of Epicenter, he spent one half hour talking about the conspiracy theories about 9-11, giving credibility to the conspiracy theories surrounding 9-11. And when people and reviewers and critics saw it, it became a social media firestorm. And Spike Lee, I was about to say Derek Lee, and Spike Lee went back to the editing room and basically chopped off that half hour. So the first three episodes are two hours. The fourth is only an hour and a half, and it's missing the entire half hour of controversial sort of conspiracy theories. But do not for one minute think that the point of the seven and a half hour epicenter documentary is the last half hour or the narrative that Spike Lee may have different views than we do, because he doesn't. He put together interviews with people that are smart, that are emotional, gives you inside stories in a way that these documentaries just haven't done, has emotion. I learned things about 9-11 I didn't know. I learned stories I didn't know. And I spent the entire episode, really, with weld eyes. Basically, it was seven and a half hours and you can watch it straight through and you just realize the. The worst part about 9-11 is that it didn't end on 9-11. It just goes on and all of these disasters that happen that are natural, the move, the, the news just goes on to the next thing, right? Big hurricane sweeps through and big earthquakes in Haiti or hurricanes in Louisiana you know, you raise money and then that's it. You move on. But the fact is the people who are there still have to live with it for years and decades. 9-11 is something that we don't ever want to forget, but do we remember about all the first responders and firemen who didn't lose their lives that day, but are losing them now from all of the cancer and all the sickness from being on the pile for all those months doing the cleanup? Spike Lee takes you inside some of these stories. Spike Lee does it in a way that is powerful, that is magical, that is mystical, that is important. Spike Lee Epicenter, please take the time. Nothing personal pick of the day. All right. We told you Friday we lost. We had the Jays beating the Orioles. Saturday, the 9-11 game, I thought the Mets would beat the Yankees. What a Subway series. Did you watch Saturday's game? Aaron Judge basically had a great game, two home runs. So we lost that game. 
But then did you see what happened in last night's game? The Mets won seven to six. Francisco Lindor hits three home runs. There's a bench clearing brew. Ha ha. When Giancarlo Stanton hits a game time home run. Circles the bases, stops, pauses, talks to Lindor, and then keeps going. What's going on? What's going on is Francisco Lindor thought the Yankees were stealing signs during the game. Francisco Lindor said, I'm not accusing them of necessarily stealing signs because I'm not 100% certain. But I felt something out of the ordinary was going on. I heard what I heard and what he heard were whistles, not trash cans banging. And the Yankees did not take kindly to that. I can only speak for Giancarlo Stanton because I know him well. And I promise you, Giancarlo Stanton does not steal signs. He doesn't use information from those of you stealing signs. He doesn't have whistling or trash can banging to help him recognize pitches. When Giancarlo Stanton connects, he connects because he connects. You don't flail at a slider if you know a slider's coming. When you look at the pitch that he hit the home run on or the double that he scorched to the opposite field yesterday, he didn't know what that pitch was. It got in on him. Giancarlo Stanton is way above that. I understand Lindor for trying to stir it up. I understand that he's got to find a way in his first year in New York to change the narrative about him as a player, about his $340 million contract, him being the first player in a Subway Series to hit three home runs in a game, him trying to recapture New York's attention away from the booze into cheers, trying to move past the thumbs down episode that plagued him recently. I get why he's doing what he's doing, but he picked on the wrong guy, not because of size. He picked on the wrong guy because that's not the type of person Stan is. So what I found fascinating is that these are two series, Sunday Night Baseball, New York, New York. It's always Yankees. It's always Mets. It's always Dodgers. It's always the big teams. Where are the Brewers, by the way, having the best season of their franchise? Don't see them too often on Sunday Night Baseball. So we lost the Saturday game, and then we got into the NFL. I told you the Jags were going to lose, didn't I? The Texans plus three over the Jags was the easiest pick of the weekend. So one and two. We're now 116 and 98. I watched a little bit of Urban Oscar Meyer and Trevor Jennifer Lawrence, and I said to myself, wow, Jaguars have a long way to go, but I had no idea that it was as poisonous already in Jacksonville. We knew that Urban Oscar Meyer had a problem. We knew when he talked about vaccinated players, we knew when he opened his mouth, we knew the fact that there could be some entry issues into the pro ranks having been so successful in college. I think I have a way to see that Urban Oscar Meyer is not gonna survive his initial five-year contract, but I had no idea it would happen so soon. Our own CBS insider, just call him Jason. You can search him. He came out with a story yesterday that I really found fascinating because if it's true, and I assume it's true because it's Jason telling me the story, Urban Oscar Meyer is basically abusing his coaching staff, his players, calling out everybody in a public way, 
at practice, making the atmosphere around the Jaguars terrible, stressful. And on top of that, he's not helping the team. Does this remind you of anybody who comes into a coaching situation trying to save the day, save the franchise, has a huge reputation in college, and all of a sudden, can't get it done because the pro ranks are quite different than the college ranks. You cannot treat pro players like you treated college players. You can't treat your hand-picked professional assistant coaches the way you treated your assistant coaches in college. Urban Oscar Meyer has a problem, and I think it only ends one way. You know that, right? He's done. He's not going to make it. Will Trevor Lawrence Lawrence start every game? Yeah. Are the Jaguars going to win their division? No. Are they going to win 10 games? No. Are they going to finish 500? No. Trick question. Nobody's going to finish 500 this year. This will be the first year in history, and I have no proof of that whatsoever because I've not gone back and looked at every season. This will be the first year in history. No one will finish at 500. Wait a minute. Not true. Someone could go eight, eight and one. There could be a tie and someone could go eight, eight and one. That'd be a funny way to see. No team will finish at 500. The other thing we had Sunday is Coke and I started a survivor pool. We wanted to keep this going for all 17 weeks. I had the bills over the Steelers. How did I do? Coca had the Jaguars over the Texans. How did he do? Oh, my God. We both lost the survivor pool in week one. Coca, you suck. And so do I. All right, we have Monday Night Football. Who's going to watch Peyton and Eli? Who cares? I understand that they're entertaining. I do. But talk about desperate. The Ravens are minus four over the Raiders. Coca's favorite team is the Ravens. He is in hibernation right now because all of his running backs and defensive players and wide receivers, everyone's hurt. They're favored by four over the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden trying to turn around the team where he's had zero success. There's one player the Ravens have who the Raiders don't, and that player's worth at least four points. Ravens minus four over Raiders. Book it. That's the nothing personal pick of the day for Monday. And we are 18 games over at 116 and 98. So the other big thing that happened in baseball yesterday, and if you watched, we were watching that uh, Padres game. A couple of things of note. If you're paying attention to nothing personal and watching Dodgers and watching Padres, you're aware that Fernando Tatis plays for the Padres. You're aware that Fernando Tatis started at shortstop for the Padres yesterday. Uh-oh. On September 8th, 2021, I had to wait to see that Tatis would not play shortstop again. I got that one wrong. You know I revisit wait to sees. Wait to sees is when I tell you something's going to happen. When it does, it does. When it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, I got to wait to see for you right now. And it's a wait to see about Max Scherzer. Did you watch Max Scherzer yesterday? Not only was he going after his 3,000th career strikeout, and that is more rare than 3,000 hits even. Getting 3,000 strikeouts is incredibly difficult, and he did it. Got it yesterday against the Padres. He had a perfect game through seven innings. This is a trade deadline acquisition that the Dodgers got from the Washington Nationals, about to be a free agent. 
The Nationals traded their best hitter right now, Trey Turner, and their best pitcher right now, Max Scherzer, both from the Nationals, and they're now Dodgers. And yet the Dodgers still haven't caught the Giants, by the way. But Max Scherzer has been dominant for the Dodgers. Watching him absolutely carve up the Padres lineup, he didn't look old to me. And I keep waiting for Scherzer to be old. He ends up being the second youngest guy to get to 3,000 strikeouts, the second fastest guy. Randy Johnson got there faster. If you've never seen Randy Johnson play, you should go look at old video. But we're looking at a Hall of Fame pitcher who gets traded during a season, doesn't miss a beat, forget expectation, forget distraction, forget defending champions. It's not like Scherzer needs a ring. He got one in 19 with DC. It's not like the Dodgers need a ring. They got one in 20 in LA. Yet there's a level of urgency with Scherzer and the Dodgers that makes me smile. And it makes me smile because the Dodgers so badly want to repeat. Scherzer so badly wants to get a second ring. They're so competitive. And Scherzer just kept going. He also did something during the game that if you don't know what it is, since he got to the Dodgers, he is 6-0, by the way. For those of you who don't care about wins, I do because I want to win games. His ERA is under 1 at .88. For those of you who don't care about ERA and you want ERA plus, or you want WRC, you want WKRP, you know what I want? I want victory. And Scherzer does it. He had an immaculate inning against the Padres. You know what that is? Those are hard. I never saw one up close in my thousands of games. That strike one, strike two, strike three, strike one, strike two, strike three, strike one, strike two, strike three. Three outs, nine pitches, all strikes. You get three up, three down a lot. You can actually get out of an inning in under eight, in under nine pitches. You could have guys swing at the first pitch. You can't strike out someone in under three pitches. So you can strike out people in more than three pitches with foul balls, et cetera. You can throw a ball and have it be a one-two count. That's not immaculate. It's 0-1-0-2 strikeout. 0-1-0-2 strikeout. 0-1-0-2 strikeout. I thought it was cool. Book it. Max Scherzer is going to be a Dodger next year. The Dodgers know that Trevor Bauer will not be pitching for them next year. He'll be suspended for the year is my guess. They know that Kershaw... It's just another year older. The Bueller's an ace, but they're going to feel like we got to bring Scherzer back. The Dodgers will re-sign Max Scherzer. Book it. Wait to see. I want to end the show with a little tennis. Don't hang up. I need your attention for all 45 minutes. Not just your attention, but also your retention. There's something magical about the U.S. Open back in the days of Connor and McEnroe and Sampras and... Hingis, Serena, Venus, Steffi, Andre. I mean, the golden age. Andy, Marty. Not Marty McFly, Marty Fish. Just something about the weekend of 9-11, U.S. Open, and Djokovic going for the Grand Slam. The reason I want to end the show with this is mental health, we've talked about quite a bit on this show. We've talked about mine. We've talked about players. We've talked about the importance of staying healthy. We've talked about the importance of working on your mind and your body. 
52 years ago, a tennis player named Rod Laver won the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open in the same year. That's called the Calendar Grand Slam. No one since 1969 has done that. None of the greats, not Nadal, not Federer, not Sampras, Agassi, none of them. Djokovic goes to Australia, wins, goes to France, wins, goes to Wimbledon, wins, comes to the U.S. Open. Federer, nope. Nadal, nope. Seems like a draw that he's got a chance. He's struggling a bit. He goes against the number two seed in the finals, Medvedev. If I pronounced your name wrong, forgive me. And Djokovic lost 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. And the match was not even as close as that. But what struck me is what happened after the match when the Joker started crying. And I thought he was crying. My initial reaction as a cynical bastard that I am is he was crying because he didn't get the Grand Slam. He was crying because he would not make history. And you know what it turns out he was crying for? He was crying out of relief that it was over that the stress and pressure he was under to win the U.S. Open was done, that he could let go. He cried at the fact that the fans in New York who always were for Federer or Nadal and never for him, he cried because they were cheering so hard for him. He felt something in New York he had never felt before. And that combined with this sort of release when you've been going after something for a year, and then you either get it or you don't, but there's a finality to it. It's a fascinating body, physical, and mental response to losing a match. I'd never seen the Joker do that. And I can't believe how wrong I was. And mental health played a role in the U.S. Open on the men's side and the women's side. Emma Raducanu, she won. Did you watch that final against the Canadian Fernandez? Radu Canu, she was a qualifier. She didn't lose a set in the U.S. Open. Not one set. She'd been criticized mercilessly back in Wimbledon. She pulled out because she said she was sick and people were all over. What's wrong? You're not mentally strong enough. She's a kid. And she came to the U.S. Open. And she made her way without her parents there who couldn't get here from the U.K. because of covid and she is now a Grand Slam winner, a finalist. And she took that microphone and she looked right in the face of every single person who had said she couldn't do it. Every person who made fun of her for any mental issues she may have had in an 18-year-old. And she took that trophy and that $2.5 million. She looked right at him and said, hey, Morgan, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.